So today we are continuing in our Advent series. And as we think of sort of the, the typical Sundays of Advent, sort of the classic themes, I know there's sort of various schemes for that. If you think of sort of the most traditional scheme for the different themes for each of the, the four Sundays of Advent, this is the third Sunday, and the classic one is joy. And we're going to really dig deep and take a look at this theme of joy. We're going to look at it uh, sort of from a general perspective, but we're also going to kind of zoom in and, and focus on it as it particularly relates to this season, as we're in the midst of this Advent season and we're particularly focusing on, on Christ and, and the wonder of what he did, what took place so long ago that here we have God the Son, and, and yet he wondrously became one of us, became a human being, took on a human nature, and he came here not for no reason at all, not just to hang out, but, but of course with great intent, with great purpose, uh, ultimately in view was to head to a cross to take our place, take our sin, take the punishment we rightfully deserve, uh, pay for it in full, of course, so that through faith in him we might be forgiven, we might have everlasting life. And we talked about this, of course, as we think of sort of, you know, where we've come this Advent season, the, the different sermons. We started by looking at Christ's birth, by looking at just the wonder of it and the wonder of what took place. Uh, his coming, his birth, every aspect of it, the big picture of why he came and just this awesome sense of wonder uh, over what took place. And as we think about that, sort of tying in with where we started this, this Advent series, as we think about the wonder of Christ's birth, as we think of the wonder of what took place and the wonder of why he came and what he accomplished on the cross, the natural response to all of this is just great joy. As we think about that, what's a natural logical response as we think of what took place, what happened, and here we are in the midst of this Advent season that's all about focusing on Christ and his birth, and we recognize this event changed everything for mankind. It changed the course of human history. It brought hope where there was no hope. It brought life where there was instead judgment and, and eternal death. It brought eternal life for all who repent and believe in Christ. This is something that as we think about it, as we respond to it, it should be a response of abundant joy. And certainly we should be rejoicing in this at, at all times. It's not just like, oh, when it's Advent season, then we think about Christ, we think about his birth, and we ought to rejoice in it. It should be happening all the time, you know, not just this season. But there is a sense in which, in a special way, as we especially focus on this, on, on Christ, on his birth, on the wonder of it, what it's all about, where we should all the more just be abounding in joy. We ought to be rejoicing in this. And I think if we're honest about it, uh, oftentimes the Advent season, uh, there are elements to it that can sort of take away or lessen that joy. Uh, I think oftentimes if you think of a typical year, if you think of sort of not this pandemic year that's a little bit different, but, but often uh, sort of a prior Advent season, this happens to me at times where it's a season where we get so caught up in the busyness of all that's going on. We have decorations. These, these are all things that are fun, that are wonderful, but all too often sort of take the, the, the prime place and becomes the focus. And we get so caught up in the, the decorations and the cookies, the baking, the cooking. Uh, we got the office party and maybe a neighborhood party and, and getting together with family as well. And these are all wonderful things. But I think so often, you know, the buying gifts, all of that, uh, again, intrinsically, they're not bad things. They can be great ways of celebrating. 
But I think oftentimes we get so caught up in all of that, and it can even become so much that we have to accomplish in such a short span of time that it can even become sort of stressful and a sort of burden of all the things I need to get done. Again, for myself, thinking back over prior Advents, that's happened to me. And certainly in ministry, there's all the more stuff going on, and you got to get things ready for church and Advent season and Christmas Eve service, where it can become, in fact, a stressful time, and you sort of let that steal the joy of the season that we ought to rightfully have. This is a season that's all about Christ, all about the wonder of his birth, and should be filled with joy and not sort of the stress and the burden of all of these added things that we have to do. Now, now that's sort of maybe your typical Advent season that we all too often let those other things become the focus and it can sort of steal that sense of abundant joy that we ought to have in the Lord and, and in what took place. Now, this year's maybe a little bit different. Maybe you're not quite, you know, going to as many parties and gatherings uh, maybe things are simplified. Uh, you're just doing your shopping on online. I know people did that even before this year, but maybe more so, and maybe that's making it a little bit easier for you. So maybe you're thinking, okay, you know, Steve, what you said before, that makes sense for prior Advent seasons. But this season, it's, you know, this year, it's not quite the case. I don't have so much on my plate that I'm becoming overwhelmed and stressed and letting it steal my joy. But I'd say we have other things present that can readily steal our joy this Advent season. And indeed, we're in the midst of a pandemic. And I know for many, there's concern over the virus itself and, and getting sick and one's health, and, and understandably so. But we can allow that, that fear and concern to sort of, again, steal this sense of joy that we ought to have this Advent season. It's a wondrous season. And we're celebrating a great, a great wonder that changed everything and nothing should be stealing and undermining that joy. But we can, again, let that joy be taken from us and undermined as we sort of focus only on the fear of this pandemic. But not just the virus itself, but even as we think of sort of collateral damage, if you will, of sort of uh, the virus and, and various, you know, government regulations and so forth. Uh, this hasn't been too, too significant for New Hope Chapel, but many people are out of work. Whether it's they run a small business and their small business has had to close and they haven't been able to reopen their doors and, and sort of their livelihood, way of living, well, that, that's no more. And, and they're thinking, you know, how am I going to buy presents for, for the kids? How am I even going to pay, you know, the rent or the mortgage and, and all that? And it's easy to let that sort of steal one's joy. Uh, you know, even the social isolation for many has been difficult. The stats are out there. There's been a great rise in, in, in mental health issues, depression, suicide, so forth. Uh, and so this is a season where in the midst, in this particular year, there's an awful lot going on that, that is sort of unusual and in a negative way that is negatively impacting people. And not just sort of outside of the church, but even in the church. And it can be easy to sort of have the sense of, you know, how can I rejoice in the midst of all this? We got a pandemic and, and people are out of work and nothing seems to be going well. And we sort of let that steal our joy of this season, the, the joy of just Christ and what he's done for us. And we ought not to let that happen. We ought to have this enduring joy, this, this bedrock foundational joy in the Lord and what he has done for us again in any season, but how much more so in this season where we're really focusing on him. And so we're going to dive into scripture. We're going to take a look here and really sort of flesh this out. And I want to start by, by going to the story of Christ and, and his birth, uh, part of that story at least. And so we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2. You can flip your Bibles there. And we're going to be reading verses 8 through 11. Uh, because this particular part of the story of Christ's birth, here we have the shepherds, the angels, uh, especially highlights this sense of joy over what was taking place in that moment uh, as the angel is speaking to the shepherds there. So let me read it for us. Luke 2, verses 8 through 11. Here's what it says. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And I particularly want to focus in on verse 10 here, where, where we have the angel saying, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What is taking place, what has just taken place at this moment, the birth of, of this child, and he identifies who it is, right? He says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So here we have the Messiah, this long-awaited Messiah. He's finally shown up. It's indeed God himself. He's come to save. And this is good news of great joy. That what is taking place, what is happening, this, this moment in history, this event that changes the course of history, this is a wondrous joy. It is something that the, the natural response, what ought to be the response, is great abounding joy in what is taking place. This is a joy-filled, wondrous event, and it's the natural response to this good news that is good news of great joy. And so even here on the angel's lips, we're told what is the natural and appropriate response to what has just taken place, the birth of this child, this Messiah, God himself, who has become man and has come to save. The natural response is great, abundant joy. Right? This isn't something that, that should give some sort of other response, but the natural outflow is just, what a wondrous thing. What an incredible thing. God becoming man, and again, a wondrous thing for, for mankind. Right? He's come, not for no purpose, but to save. And the natural response is, again, just this abounding joy, abundant joy to say, how can I respond any other way other than just to celebrate this, rejoice in this wondrous thing that when man had no hope on his own, when he was under punishment, under death, right, God came and he came to rescue and to save. And how can I respond any other way other than just to, to celebrate, right? For my heart to just overflow with great and abundant joy. That is the natural response. And I want to turn now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And here I want to speak to really this idea of joy in a more general sense. Certainly we are to rejoice in, in Christ and in what took place roughly 2,000 years ago, this event that, that changed the course of history, uh, certainly in the midst of Advent season, this sort of this added sense in which we should have this extra sense of, of just joy in, in Christ and what he's done. But the truth is the Christian life just generally at all times ought to be characterized by joy. And that's what this says here. And I'm going to read it for us. Paul writing here, and this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Here's what it says. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right, so this is God's will for us, and we're going to focus on the first part, and it's for us to be rejoicing always. Not, not sort of, you know, rejoice when things are sort of going well, they're going smoothly, life's easy, you know, your job, it's going great, you know, financially things are good, uh, everyone's in good health. It's sort of not, not just rejoice when everything's as you want it and nice and cozy and easy. I think that's sort of the way the world thinks is if things are going well, then rejoice. If things are not going so well for you, well, then that's cause for quite the opposite, right? Uh, we shouldn't be joyful but saddened. That's sort of uh, the world's way of thinking. But, but here we're told, no, we're to rejoice in all circumstances. When things are easy and, and great, great, rejoice. Uh, if things are tough, even if those circumstances are tough circumstances, like for many, that's the case now in a pandemic, 
of course, and again, not just the fear of the virus itself, but then all sort of the, the collateral damage and fallout and people without jobs and, and so forth and people isolated and struggling with that, uh, all sorts of things. Even in these tough situations, we're told, rejoice. Regardless of those outward circumstances, we are to rejoice. We are to be a people characterized by joy. And we're told more specifically here in Philippians 4.4 that we're going to read what the source of that joy is to be. And this is Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. For, for Paul here, it's like, it, it's not enough to say it once. This is so important, that, and he wants to add such great emphasis that he repeats himself. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's like, it's not enough to just say it that one time. Let me say it again, right? I'll say it again. Rejoice. And, and here we have what is the source of our joy, right? We didn't see it specifically stated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 that we just read. But now here we get it explicitly. We are to rejoice in the Lord. We're not to be rejoicing in sort of our material possessions, uh, the comforts of life, uh, good health. I mean, those are wonderful blessings from the Lord. It's not like those should be such a, a miserable thing to us. They can be sort of sources of added happiness and joy, but they shouldn't be sort of the source of, of fundamental foundational joy in our lives. But, but if we're honest, all too often it is the case that that's where we're looking for joy. And then suddenly when tough times come, and, and maybe our finances and our comfort and our health and those things that wound up becoming the source of our fundamental joy, when suddenly those are undermined or threatened, well, because that's the source of our joy, our joy disappears. And now we're anything but joyful. Right? But rather, our source of joy, of fundamental joy, is to be in the Lord. And just God himself, and I'd say attendant to that also, would be all of the wondrous spiritual blessings that we have in him, in Christ Jesus. All those spiritual blessings that have been secured in Christ through what he has done for us. That, that we have forgiveness, we're saved, we're re restored into a right relationship with God. We have fellowship with him. We have this wondrous, glorious promise of, of everlasting life, eternal glory, just to, to dwell in the fullness of the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Perfect joy, perfect peace. Our joy should be in the Lord himself and in those core spiritual blessings that we have in him. And those are unchanging. They are sure. They are guaranteed. They don't waver based on our circumstances, but whether circumstances are sort of good and, and easy or whether times are tough, those things are still rock solid and sure. And therefore, our joy should be rock solid and sure in all circumstances. Even if times get tough, we still have the Lord. He hasn't changed. He hasn't gone away. Even when times get tough, we're still experiencing all those spiritual blessings in Christ. We're still forgiven. We're still saved. We still have fellowship with God. We still have everlasting life. That hasn't changed. And so even when times get tough, we can still have a joy in the Lord and in those spiritual blessings because they're still present. They're sure they are secured. But again, I think all too often we sort of fall prey to looking to other things for joy. That, that's, again, the way the world sort of operates. It's sort of, well, you know, what's a source of joy in the world? It's sort of material possessions and things in life. Maybe it's your family. It's a nice house. It, it, it's sort of accumulating wealth. So then you can have a comfortable lifestyle, have fun experiences. That should sort of be the source of your joy as, as the surrounding culture puts it. And all too often, I think we buy into that. We intellectually know better. Yes, our joy, it's to be in the Lord. But, but in, in, in sort of actuality, I think all too often we let those things creep in and become a source of joy to us. And then all of a sudden, those things are threatened in times like this or other times. 
suddenly our, our comforts and so forth and our, our health and our job and all of that, our material possessions becomes threatened and undermined, and then our joy goes out the window because that was the source of our joy. And we need to realize that all too often we can be tempted into operating that way and looking to those things for joy in our lives and come back to, to the Lord who is to be the bedrock source of our joy. He is the, to be the true fundamental source of joy. He and those spiritual blessings that we have in him, and we are to be rejoicing in him. And again, those things are sure, they're secure, they cannot be taken away from us. And so our joy is to endure through all circumstances, no matter what. And now I want to bring this back to sort of specifically looking at Advent, because that's sort of talking about joy generally, whether it's Advent season or whether it's any time of year, that we are just, as Christians, to be a, a people uh, who are joy-filled, and that joy is to be in the Lord. We are to be rejoicing in the Lord at all times and in every spiritual blessing that we have in him. But now I want to sort of come back to uh, looking at Advent season, and I want to speak to the reality that, that historically Advent was a season for, yes, on the one hand, looking back at Christ and, and his birth, his first coming, but historically, that tends to be the emphasis now, but historically there was also this side of it that was looking forward to the fact that he's coming back. It's not just that he came. Yes, that's true, and that's part of Advent. Let's look back and celebrate that and, and rejoice in that great wonder of his birth and, and what he accomplished, what he did when he came, but also remembering that's not it. It's not like this life as things are right now, even with still this brokenness and sin and imperfection all around us. It's not like that's it. That's how the story ends. But, but Advent season was also intended to be a season for looking forward as well and saying, he's coming back. He didn't just come the first time, but he's also coming a second time. And when he does, he's going to finish the work. He's going to complete the work that he started when he came the first time. What is he going to do when he comes back? He's going to do away with, it, with finality, with every imperfection, every bit of sin, every bit of evil, all mourning and death and so forth, every imperfection, every bit of brokenness that's a result of the fall, that will be done away with once and for all. There will be a new created order, and it will be glorious, and it will be perfect, and we will have a share in it, and we will dwell with God face to face in the fullness of his glorious presence, perfect joy, perfect peace, everything will be perfect, and that's what's in store for us when Christ returns. And that ought to be a source of joy for us. As we think about Advent season, we think of, you know, this season of joy. It's a season of joy as we look back and rejoice in what Christ has done when he came the first time. But it's also a season of rejoicing as we look forward to what is to come, the fact that he's coming back. And I want to read for us as we think of this, Revelation chapter 21. And this is verses 1 through 4. And this sort of gives a picture of what is to come for us. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Here's what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
right? When Christ returns, he's going to usher in this glorious new creation. That, that old former order of things with every bit of brokenness, as he talks about here, right? No more death, the mourning, the crying, the pain, all that, the sin, the evil, the imperfection in every way. All that's gone. That former order of things, it's done. It, has, it will pass away. It will be no more. And there'll be a new order, a new created order. And everything will be glorious. It'll be perfect. We will be made perfect. We will be made glorious. Sin will no longer be a thing and a problem, right? Everything will be perfect. We will dwell with God. He will dwell with us, the fullness of his glorious presence right there. We will see him face to face. And as we think about this, as we think of the, the, the wonder of what's in store for us as God's people, again, the natural response is just to, to celebrate, to rejoice. How can we not, as we think about this, as we read it, how can we respond any other way than to just celebrate it and rejoice, to be filled with that abundant joy that says, man, this is such a wondrous and glorious thing, and this is what's in store for me. It's to celebrate that fact, to rejoice in it. So again, as we think of Advent season, it's this season for joy. Yes, as we look back, at Christ, what he did when he came, but also it's a season for looking forward at what is to come, knowing there wasn't just that first advent or coming, but there's a second advent or coming that will complete all that he began and everything will be made glorious. And we ought to rejoice in that, rejoice in what is in store for us. But I want to speak to the importance of, of joy as God's people. Uh, we are to do it, of course. We are to rejoice. We're to be a people of joy because we're commanded. We, we looked at that. Rejoice always, as we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So, yes, we are to do it. We are to be a people filled with joy because God commands us to. But as we think of the importance of it, part of what is so significant here is that when we are a people who are filled with abundant joy in the Lord and in all of those spiritual blessings that we have in him, that we have secured for us, sure for us in Christ, God is glorified in that. When we are a people who delight in, in him, who celebrate him, who are filled with great overflowing joy in the Lord... And in all that he's done for us, he is honored, glorified, and exalted in that. And everything is most fundamentally, as human beings, we have a way of sort of making it about ourselves. We sort of have that habit. We're pretty self-centered. But the reality is everything that is, everything that happens, it's for the Lord. It's for his glory. And that even speaks to our own joy, that we are to be a people of joy. Yes, it is for our own blessing, right, or for our own good. To be filled with joy is a wonderful blessing. And so we have a stake in the matter. But most fundamentally, God's glory is what is at stake, and we are to rejoice in the Lord ultimately because he's glorified in it. As we are filled with abundant joy in him, as he is that source of our joy and we just are overflowing with it, he's honored, glorified, exalted in that. And so we need to be a people of joy. Uh, another sort of important aspect of being a people filled with joy is that as we are filled with joy as God's people, we wind up being a powerful witness for Christ. Right? This is sort of how things ought to operate, where if you sort of go about the world, right, and you have some Christians in it and you have all sorts of non-Christians, you should be able to pick the Christians out of a lineup based upon certainly plenty of things, how they live their lives and so forth. But one of the ways you ought to be able to pick them out of a lineup is, is by the fact that they're people who are just filled with abundant joy, even when things aren't going well. 
right? The rest of the world, maybe they look like they're filled with joy when things seem to be going well. There's sort of a happiness there. But when everything sort of turns and everything seems to be going wrong, you should be able to determine which people are the Christians because they're the ones who continue to have this abounding joy in their heart of hearts. It's sort of, it doesn't matter what's going on out in the world. It doesn't matter that, yeah, financially things are tough or, you know, my health isn't so great or all of those things. It doesn't matter. I have this wondrous, abundant joy in the Lord that is regardless of outward circumstances. That is the way things ought to look. That should be a distinguishing mark of Christians, that we're just filled with abundant, overflowing joy no matter what. And that ought to be a powerful testimony. I want to read a quote here. This is in a book that I read, part of my doctor ministry program, Lifestyle Evangelism is the book, if you're interested in it, written by Joe Aldrich. Uh, it's not a quote from him. He, in this book, is actually quoting someone else. Uh, he's quoting Sheldon Van Aken here. And here's what Sheldon Van Aken says. The best argument, I'd probably nuance this and say one of the best arguments, so maybe a little bit of overstatement, but nonetheless, there's great wisdom in, in this. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians, when they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug. Right? And I think there's great wisdom in this, is you sort of look at things from the perspective of someone who's not a Christian. Uh, the reality is one of the things that is going to be a solid argument for them in their minds, in their hearts, for Christianity is when they see Christians going around. Uh, and I'm going to focus here on the joy. I know he talked about other elements of sort of the Christian life. Uh, but when, when non-believers go around and they see Christians all around them just exhibiting this wondrous joy, everybody else, they don't seem to have it, but then they see these people who are Christians and sort of like no matter what, they're just filled with this wondrous abounding joy. And, and they're, they're can't help, they can't help but have this feeling of sort of like, I want that. I want joy in my life. I'm not happy. I, I'm saddened. I'm depressed. But, but these Christians everywhere, they're just filled with this abundant joy, and I want a taste of that. What, is, what are you guys all about? What is it that is this source of joy for you no matter what? That is a powerful argument and testimony for Christ for those who are not believers. But the flip side of that is then when you have these Christians who sort of have no sense of joy about them. Again, I know he talks about other elements. I think he mentions here, what, self-righteousness and smugness and so forth. So I understand that there are other elements of the Christian life that either attract people to Christ or sort of seem to push them away. But we're focusing on joy here. But, but part of what he's saying here is, here is when you have these Christians, this strong argument against Christianity in the mind of a believer, when you have Christians who look sort of just like the rest of the world, when things get tough, their joy goes out the window, they're miserable, they're sad, they're depressed. And again, if you're a non-Christian and you sort of look at all the Christians seeming to, to live that way and have that sort of attitude about themselves, you don't look at that and say, oh, I want some of that misery. I mean, it's just, it looks fantastic. I would love to be miserable just like you. Nobody thinks that way, right? So they look at Christians, they seem miserable, and they say, whatever you're all about, it's not for me. I'm not interested in it. And they go looking for joy somewhere else. And so our joy can be a powerful testimony for Christ and point people to him as we're just filled again with this overflowing joy, regardless of circumstances. And people see that difference as you're really living that out day in and day out. And they see there's just something about you. You just, you always have that smile on your face. There's just sort of a spring in your step. There's just something different about you. And, and I, I wish I had that. Can you tell me more about that? It can be that powerful witness. So even as we think of sort of having joy in the Lord, and certainly we can focus particularly on this Advent season and, and a joy in the Lord focused on Christ and what he's done for us, but also looking forward to, to his return. 
again, it's not just about us, like, hey, this is going to be self-centered and let's have joy because joy is nice and pleasant for us. I mean, yeah, we do have a stake in the matter. We should rejoice, and it is a wonderful blessing to experience that joy, but there's more at stake in it as well. We are to be that people who have that distinguishing mark of joy in all circumstances, most importantly, for God, for his glory. We are to be rejoicing in him in every spiritual blessing that we have in him. And he is glorified in that. But also our testimony, as we are seeking to be witnesses for Christ, our joy is hugely important. It is something that is going to win people over, at least to a certain extent, at least in an initial extent, where people are going to look and say, I want some of that. I'm interested in whatever you're all about, because the joy that you have, it's something I don't have and I desperately want. And so again, it's not just ourselves who are at stake, but we as Christians are called to be a people of joy for the Lord, for his glory, but also to be a powerful witness for others. And so as I think of, well, so what's our takeaway? What's our application? Again, most generally, rejoice in the Lord always. As Paul says, I'll say it again, rejoice. We are to be that people of joy. But again, I want to be specific for this Advent season. And again, this isn't something that we should just be experiencing this Advent season, but how much more so. This is a wondrous season, a joy-filled season of just focusing on Christ, the wonder of what took place, that, that event in history that changed everything. It changed the course of history. It is that turning point in the, the, the story of mankind. It was that moment that changed everything and brought hope where there wasn't hope, everlasting life where there was just everlasting punishment. It is this wondrous event, and, and our response to it as we focus on it, this Advent season, should, should just be this overwhelming sense of joy. I want us to, to leave this place uh, really with just this wondrous joy overflowing in our hearts. I just hope and pray that the Spirit fills us with that joy, that as we leave here, we just leave here with this huge smile on our faces, uh, as I said, that spring in our step, and just exhibiting that wondrous joy as we look back, of course, on Christ, his birth, and, and what he did, but again, also remember, we look forward as well. This isn't it. It's not like this is the end of the story. Christ came, he rescued us, but things are still going to keep going on with brokenness and sin and imperfection as we all see in our daily lives and ourselves. It's not like that's the end of the story, but ultimately everything will be set right. Everything will be made perfect, and we have a share in that, and that is cause for true abundant joy. So let's be those people, God's people, rejoicing always in him. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, how could we respond any way other than with joy? As we just think of you, as we think of all that you have done for us, every spiritual blessing, forgiveness, a restored relationship with you, that we can know you and fellowship with you, that we have everlasting life in you, how can we respond in any way other than just the fullest, most abundant sense of joy and thanksgiving and worship? I pray that we would be that people of joy that we ought to be, not just for ourselves, not in some self-centered, self-seeking way where it's just about us, but Lord, for you, that you might be lifted high and exalted, honored, glorified in our lives, in our hearts, as we just exalt and rejoice in you. And as we experience that joy, Holy Spirit, as you fill us with it, and we pray that you would, may we be that powerful testimony that we ought to be, 
Not as your people who go around being miserable all the time like the rest of the world, but as your people going around filled with joy no matter what happens in life. Such that people notice, they see the difference and say, I want what you have. And it opens up opportunities to share and witness for you. May we be that people, Lord. May you cultivate within us day after day that sense of joy. And may this, be, this season truly be a season filled with joy. Not losing that in the midst of a pandemic and all sorts of hardships that can threaten to undermine our joy. May that not be the case. But even in spite of those hardships, may you give us that rejoicing in our heart and our soul that just overflows in every way for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.